Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land's Stick to Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Tamanini, and thank you for checking out this silly and slightly off-kilter podcast. Here on Stick to Sports, we enjoy talking about Ohio State athletics, but more often than not, we avoid the actual X's and O's of said sports and dive into whatever is going on around the periphery of the games, as well as what else is keeping us occupied and entertained in between. Uh, as always, I think we can say that this is our third episode together. As always, I am joined by Land Grant Holy Land columnist and former editor-in-chief of The Lantern, Jamie Urich. Jamie, thank you for getting up early on a Saturday morning in Los Angeles. Uh, I know you are drinking out of your very favorite coffee mug as we get ready to pod. I am. Shout out to Buckeye Donuts. I feel like every episode is a shout out to Buckeye Donuts, as it should be. My existence as a human is a shout out to Buckeye Donuts. Yes. I hope they're all having a lovely Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. They're probably just getting the hungover freshmen uh, walking across High Street over uh, to get a donut or a breakfast sandwich right now. I hope so. Yeah. Well, speaking of Buckeye Donuts and some folks are going to have the opportunity to enjoy those Columbus delicacies for another year. This past week, uh, and actually over the last couple of weeks, we've gotten word that three Ohio State football players will be returning for another year with the team. We've talked so much in the Ohio State blogosphere about all of the coaches that were coming to Columbus as part of Ryan Day's restructuring of mostly the defense, but also the offense. So we wanted to spend a little time talking about the three big players that have announced in the last week or so that they will be coming back to Columbus. And let's go... Let's see. Let, let's start with the guy who I think might be spending the most time at Buckeye Donuts. And that is, is that wrong? Should I not have said it that way? Oh, I think you're probably correct. I mean, he's an offensive lineman and he's 6'8", 360. So I feel like that is appropriate. And of course, that is offensive tackle DeWand Jones. Um, he decided that he would be coming back. I think he had a a shot to go in the NFL draft, maybe in a mid to late round. But I think by coming back and having another year um, under his belt, he really could uh, be an impact player for the Buckeyes this season, but also really make himself a lot of money in, in the NFL draft. Now, Jamie, it's it's tough to talk about offensive linemen because most of the time, you know, from a, a TV watching perspective, we don't spend a lot of time watching them. But this guy's got such an interesting story. Gene and I talked about it on Hangout in the Holy Land earlier this week, where he came in as like, I remember when he committed, he was like in the 1600s or something in terms of like recruiting ranking. We were like, what is going on? Why is this guy? And then we saw like, he's six, eight, almost three or almost 400 pounds. Like, okay, I get it. But he's turned into a really great 
uh, addition and really a credit to, to Greg Stadrawa, who is no longer the offensive line coach, but like he's developed this guy into a, a pretty legitimate NFL talent. So um, I'm just super happy for him. He's turned into like a really likable guy on social media and uh, just seems like he's having a lot of fun. So I am very much here for another year of Dewan Jones. Oh, I'm thrilled. And I think like to, to your point, um, when he was being recruited, like you look at the offense this year, the offense was leading the nation in points per game and yards per game mm-hmm. um, with him at right tackle. So it's a huge win for the Buckeyes to have him back next year. Um, I'm really excited. And I hope that it does boost his draft prospects as well, because I'd love to see him have a lengthy NFL career. Yeah. And um, Meredith Hine uh, had an article this past week at Land Grant where she talked about the fact that like, Ohio State puts out a decent amount of offensive linemen into the NFL, but very few and far between during the coach stud era have been really elite. There's guys who are good and guys who are on NFL rosters. There was one pro bowler this year, and I don't remember off the top of my head who it was. Maybe it was Corey Lindsley. I'm not sure. Um, But, you know, the fact that there are a ton of Ohio State offensive linemen in the NFL is, is a credit to what coach stud did in terms of development. His issues, I think, were probably more in the recruitment and could only really get big guys um, from Columbus. But uh, Dewan Jones is somebody who is a lot of fun, kind of reminds me a little bit of the big Bob Landers vibe. Um, I don't know, Jamie, if you were a a member of the cult of Big Bob like I was in former land grant editor Alexis Chasen were. But I loved that dude. He was just fun. He was the guy who would come to like the spring game in a cowboy hat and he would have a gold football filled with gushers that he would pass out to fans. Like, I just love that. And I feel like Dewan's got a little bit of that energy. So I'm always going to be rooting for the big guy. Yeah, for sure. I agree. All right. So perhaps in my opinion, and I jokingly said this on uh, Hangout in the Holy Land, but I I actually think I believe it. I'm not. 100% 100% sure, but I think perhaps the, the the biggest one out of these three that we learned is coming back. It was just made official on Friday, even though it had been previously reported earlier in the week, but field goal kicker Noah Ruggles is running it back for another year, which you kind of think is kind of funny in an offense like Ohio State's, like you mentioned, Jamie, like how many yards they put up, how many points they put up, how prolific the wide receivers were, and how great Travion Henderson is, of course, C.J. Stroud being one of, if not the Heisman favorite coming into 2022. Are we really getting excited about a place kicker? And honestly, the answer is yes. He was 20 of 21 uh, in terms of field goals. He was 74 of 74 for extra points. He actually, in his four years of college football, which um, included three years at North Carolina, only one of which where he was like the main kicker, but he's never missed an extra point. So is a field goal kicker going to make the difference between Ohio State winning a national title and not? I mean, Maybe if it comes down to one kick, sure. But like on the whole, probably not. But having him as a weapon certainly uh, changes things for Ryan Day. And I'm old enough to remember. I mean, hell, I'm old enough to remember before Jim Trussell was in Columbus. I was a freshman or a sophomore. I think I maybe I can't remember if he came in during my freshman or sophomore year at Ohio State. But like place kicking and special teams have always been a huge part of Ohio State football. And having a guy for the first time in a handful of years that you can rely on uh, to kick field goals is is a big deal. So um, I might have overstated it a little bit on the pod on Wednesday or Thursday, but like having him back is is good. Like I'm much more comfortable with him than any of the other guys that might have been contending to uh, take field goal kicks for Ryan Day this year. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think this brings a huge element of reliability and consistency 
It also means OSU is now um, has all three primary specialists returning from 2021, Mm -hmm. which is like just I think just kind of a great thing to not have to worry about that. Like, you know, I'm I've said before, I'm a Bears fan. I'm old enough to remember when Robbie Gold was the field goal kicker and we never had to worry. Perfect. And then he wasn't anymore and we had to worry. And there were moments where we lost games in the last minute because field goals were missed. So as much as like there are other pieces of the puzzle that have to come into play in order for the field goal kicker to really be the important kind of game winning hero. Um you want someone you can rely on in a pinch. Like you just, you don't want somebody that's going to come in and you have to wonder if they're going to make the kick. Yeah. While we're talking uh, about specialists, can we talk about the one and only Bradley Robinson, who is Ohio State's long snapper? Now, he's not been the starting long snapper for this whole time, but because of all of the weird COVID rules and all of these things, Bradley Robinson announced uh, a, a week or so ago, um, I guess it was on the seventh uh, of January, a couple weeks, that he would be coming back for his seventh year as a Buckeye, um, yeah. which is awesome because you're like, okay, that kind of makes me think of uh, Animal House where they talk about like going to school for seven or eight years. Most of them come out doctors uh, in Animal House. That is not the case. But with the case of Bradley Robinson, that is actually what is going on. Um, he's going to continue to play football, hopefully train for the NFL, because if you get in as a long snapper, like you could play for a long time because there's such specialized positions, but he's going to be completing his master's degree and beginning to take steps towards a PhD, which like, first off, no, thank you. I do not need to go to school that long ever, even if it's being paid for. But like he started at Michigan State, but transferred to Ohio State and then walked on uh, for the Buckeyes starting in the summer of 2017. And, you know, he was a fourth team All-American by an organization that like scouts long snappers. So like could not be happier for him. Um, he's going to get his bachelor's He's got his bachelor's degree in human nutrition and human development and family sciences and is working on another one in exercise science. So like, good for you, dude. I had no idea who the hell you were until you announced you were coming back for a seventh year, but very, very happy to have him back. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I get um, really big Aaron Kraft vibes out of him. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, it, how rosy his cheeks get during games, but yes, very much. <laughs> Just like excels seemingly at everything that he does. So, um, wish him all the best with that PhD. It's not a path that I would want to take, but, no. uh, no. but yeah, so happy to have him back and, and think it's amazing that he's, um, that he's returning. Yeah. And also it gives that stability. Like you were talking about, it's one of those things where you're like, if it's just one less thing you have to worry about in terms of something going wrong in a close game, Great. It's some not something that I think any of us are ever going to think about a lot unless we are actively being paid by Ohio State to worry about long snappers. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is great. And he actually quotes Tommy Boy in his uh, in, in his uh, Twitter post announcing that he was coming back. Lots I love of people. That. So yeah, <laughs> lots of people go to school for seven years, which is actually I think what I was thinking of. There's a different seven years in college quote from uh, Animal House. I think that one's like where uh, Belushi is like seven years down the drain, different seven <laughs> years college quote. But anyway, all right. So moving on from those guys and the specialists, let's move to the guy who probably like in terms of 
reputation and recruiting ranking is the biggest one to come back for Ohio State, but I'm not exactly sure if that's go- how that's going to work actually on the field. But we did learn that defensive end Zach Harrison will be returning to Ohio State. When he came in, he was like a top 15 national recruit. He's from Hilliard. Um, he was a five-star guy. So everybody had really high expectations about how he would be the next in line of Ohio State edge rushers following literally the year after Chase Young left, of course, coming off the heels of the Boses as well. That's never exactly happened for him. I don't think he's been bad at the defensive end position, but he's never lived up to those expectations. And I'm not sure this far into his career in his fourth season at Ohio State that he's ever going to be the next Chase Young. Um, So I'm not sure how much of an impact he's going to have if his role will change now that um, Jim Knowles is kind of restructuring the defense and how he's going to be playing with some of the uh, the positionings. Like there's been talk about him potentially moving Zach Harrison to this Leo position, which is kind of a hybrid linebacker defensive end. There's also been talk, which I think was actually my preference. And I said this when he announced on Twitter um, from the, from the land grant account, like I wouldn't mind seeing him move inside so that we could have Zach Harrison, JT Tua Maloau and Jack Sawyer on the field at the same time. Um, but Again, you've got a guy this talented, even if he hasn't reached his expectations. We've seen Ohio State defensive players, generally not ones that have played this much, but we've seen guys have huge senior seasons betting on themselves to come back and it's paid off long term. So I hope it happens for Zach, who seems to be like a a really good dude uh, during his three years in Columbus. Yeah, I think so. Like one of the things about Zach Harrison is his stats are are fairly modest, right? Like I think he was credited with 34 tackles this season and um, eight were for losses uh, with maybe four sacks. Yeah. I'm looking at him now. It's, it's actually this season alone was 25 tackles. Six were for loss and two were sacks. Okay. So maybe 34 is his, his whole career. No, he's got 38 solo tackles total. He's got, uh, 63 total in his career. So who knows? But yeah, I mean, they're, they're relatively modest stats regardless. And, but he has these kind of like moments of dominance and, one of the things that he's talked about in his decision to return is that he feels that he improved in this last season, but he's like really seeking consistency. Like he wants to come out on every snap and really be the player that he knows that he's capable of being. So I'm kind of hoping that even just that like go-getter attitude is going to be something that, that tips him over. And um, maybe those coaching changes will help all like, although his positions coach is, is actually the only holdover uh, Larry Johnson, but it, you know, it's possible that that with that shakeup, like something's just going to click. Yeah, I mean, we hear it all the time, especially it's more so in the NFL because there's less of a player churn than there is in college. But like we hear it all the time of like sometimes the message just gets stale or the scheme gets stale and it's not using the players to the best of their ability or the the message isn't you know, motivating the players properly or whatever. And they sometimes just make coaching changes for the sake of making a coaching change. And I'm not saying that you know, dismissively, but like sometimes just the change is enough to make a difference in terms of how people play on the field. And, you know, when you have the ceiling like Zach Harrison has, who's had minor injuries throughout his career, but never anything that's been like, you know, he's played 27 games in three seasons. And obviously that includes the pandemic shortened season. So like he's played most games, most seasons. So it's not like he's had debilitating injuries. He is still that athletic freak that came into Columbus or came down from Hilliard to 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 campus who could potentially do huge things. Um, so I'm optimistic. I, I was beating the drum all season that I 
wanted the young guys on the field. Like we knew the defense was going to be bad. So I wanted to just let the young players go out there and do their thing and potentially get a lot of repetitions where they could be you know, more experienced and more comfortable next season. That didn't always happen, but it happened in some cases. And I feel like with the way that Larry Johnson rotates guys that I feel like if you can get Zach Harrison, his snaps, but also make sure that they're kind of balanced with JTT and Sawyer, you know, I mean, like that's uh, that's a pretty decent mix of edge rushers that I think could probably do something pretty good for Ohio State. And as Gene and I talked about the other day, Ohio State's defense doesn't actually have to be good for them to make huge strides towards a national championship. It just has to be passable, which it definitely was not the last two seasons. No, I mean, and frankly, it's a it's a larger leap than I think most of us even realize to go from what we've had the last two seasons to passable. But yeah, it can be done. I think that if we've got the right coaching and, and recruiting pieces in, in place, like it, it's not an insurmountable hurdle. No, and that's the thing. Like, uh, I don't have the, uh, the stats put up exactly. Let me pull up the stats of where they ranked in some of the defensive categories this season. Um, it was atrocious in 2020, um, slightly better in, in 2021. But let me pull up just, just in terms of total defense. Let's see where Ohio State is. They came in at 59th in total defense, and that's uh, giving up 372.6 yards um, per game. Scoring defense, uh, they were at 38th, which is pretty good, 22.8. But the big bugaboo for this team is always in the past few seasons, other than the Jeff Halfley season, um, is going to be passing defense. They were 96th in the country, giving up 245.8 yards um, through the air each game. If they can get that into line with like where the total defense is and where the scoring defense is, um, they're going to be great because they were 28th nationally in rushing defense. So if they can pull that passing up to somewhere at least on the fringe of where those other numbers are, I they're a national championship contender, if not favorite. So I, I am hoping that Zach Harrison has a huge year. I'm hoping that these coaching changes work. And I'm hoping that we can be doing a pod on like whatever January 12th next year celebrating uh, Ohio State's national championship. Absolutely. That would be a dream. All right. So the other reason, if we're really being fair and pulling back the curtain here, Jamie, that we wanted to end talking about Zach Harrison out of those three is because he had a tweet that set the interwebs on fire last week and got you really interested in discussing something that I have next to no input on. Um, Why don't you tell the folks what Zach Harrison's tweet actually was before you rap poetic and episodic about uh, uh, about your thoughts on the topic? So Zach Harrison tweeted that he is late to the game on both of these shows, but he kind of posed the question, Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad, which is a better show? Um, And it completely set the internet um, on fire with debate. Yeah, either that either could be an exploding meth lab on fire or the fire from a flying dragon on fire. We're not sure exactly which one. Well, it depends on which side of the, exactly. of the table you're on, I suppose. Um, but it it was so fun to just watch the comments explode. I, in full disclosure, I would have to argue that Breaking Bad was the better show. Um, I have not watched Game of Thrones. And 
I would argue that that was probably a better show until the last season based on what everyone has told me. Um, however, Breaking Bad is, is in my opinion, brilliant all the way through. So if you want to get to the end, Zach Harrison, stick to Breaking Bad. Um, if you want to be really upset when you get to the end, you could go with Game of Thrones and have a really fun five seasons and or so and then be angry. Um, yeah. But the one thing that Game of Thrones has that Breaking Bad does not is Hannah Waddingham. That so, you know what that is true, but he could also find her on Ted Lasso or any true. number of or into the, the into the woods the, the into the woods uh, that's streaming from uh, the Regent Outdoor Theater in London, which she was fantastic in. Exactly. Yeah. So that that's my personal take. But it was really fun to just kind of watch this non-football related debate go down on Twitter between two fan bases that are extremely passionate and also two yeah. fan bases that have a lot of crossover. So people were making these kind of really educated arguments. But I do think the Game of Thrones fans feel particularly betrayed by the ending. Um, I know a couple of people who are kind of outliers and, and don't feel that way. but. Um, I did watch my roommate who had been trying to get me to watch uh, Game of Thrones for a long time come out of her room in tears after the finale because she was so mad. Um, And then she was basically like, don't waste your time because it will hurt you. So I would argue that Breaking Bad did not hurt me. A lot of other people got hurt on the show. But it wasn't me. Yeah. Um, Interestingly enough, though, like depending on which way he goes, neither of those stories stop with the original series. Because with Breaking Bad, you can go to Better Call Saul, which I believe is a prequel, right? It. I. That's my understanding. I actually don't watch Better Call Saul. Yeah, I've heard it's great, though. I have heard it's great. And it's been on my list for a while um, to just kind of catch up on. I can't remember why I didn't start it when it when it first dropped, but there was like a legitimate reason. And, uh, and it's supposed to be excellent. And it's definitely on my list and I will watch it at some point. Yeah. And then for the game of Thrones folks, a, a a prequel to that series is debuting on HBO and HBO max this series season called house of the dragon. I won't watch it either. Uh, I mean, I just, I'm not a fantasy person. Um, so Game of Thrones, Dragons, Incest, like, eh, I'm fine. I'll skip it. Um, Breaking Bad is one where, for me, it just, like, it started at a time where I wasn't able to watch a ton of TV. So, like, by the time I was like, oh, I should probably watch that, there was just too much. And, like, you know, it, it was so hard to catch up on. And before it was all streaming, like, this shows you how fast these things change. It was either an after Christmas sale or a uh, a Black Friday sale. I was at Target, which is my want. Literally, my tradition is to go to Target every December 26th. Um, I bought all the DVDs of Breaking Bad, uh, like for the entire series. And I was like, I'll, I'll watch these. I've never watched them. So I have no input on this discussion, but we wanted to spin this forward and have a little discussion between us, Jamie, about what we think is the best TV series of all time. Now, in our first episode together, we did those back and forth questions where we asked each other things so we could get to know each other. We ended on the is a hot dog a sandwich question, which I'm so glad that you said the correct answer so we could continue having this show. Um, I remember my, my five favorite TV shows, which is a question I asked you, were The Leftovers, Jane the Virgin, Rectify, Saved, the Bi- Saved by the Bell, and Fleabag. Do you remember what yours were? Uh, One Tree Hill, Gilmore Girls... No, I don't remember okay. what mine was. One Tree Hill Family Girls for sure. Yeah, I remember those. Um, I don't there remember. There was if you... definitely like a drama in there. Oh, The Good Wife. 
I was like, I know I'm missing one, The Good Wife. Did you throw Ted Lasso in there as well? I I may have thrown Ted Lasso in there. I mean, Ted Lasso is not over yet, so I have a hard time calling it the greatest TV show of all time. But it certainly is on the trajectory to be that. Yeah, I mean, so that was my thing. Like, when we had this question originally, we'd said our five favorites, which is different than what we think is the best. Because, like, I can, you know, say that, like... I loved a lot of these these shows that were my favorites. There's issues with them. There's problems with them. They're not perfect shows, but they, for me, have some sort of value. Um, so I wanted to kind of get into what we think might be the best TV show of all time. And to kind of prepare for this, because we definitely did not come up with this topic 10 minutes before we decided to start recording, um, I scrolled through the internet and kind of found like some lists, like best TV shows of all time lists. There is actually one list I found from EmpireOnline.com, which is a, you know, a magazine or whatever their top two shows of all time were number one breaking bad number two game of thrones so uh, that is interesting you're also going to see a lot of lists like this that have the wire is number one even the sopranos uh friends the west wing stuff like that um none of those are my what i think is the number one show but i have a couple options here and i want to get into them i could make an argument that the best tv show of all time both in terms of what it it had on the screen what it created in the real world in terms of like fandom um, and its impact on television moving forward is lost. I'm not 100% sure that I'm actually going to go with that as my answer because much like Game of Thrones, it, the ending pissed off a lot of people. I'm not necessarily one of them. Um, I once interviewed Michael Emerson, who played um, Ben Linus uh, on on that show, and he talked about how much he loved the finale. And he might have just been saying that. And this was when he was on another show, so it wasn't like he was promoting Lost. But like, I don't hate the ending. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. But where do you come down on the Lost arc of outrage or enjoyment? Um, I was a I was anti the Lost ending for sure. That was one that just, it just hurt me. Like, I don't know. I, it, it's one of the reasons that I, I keep meaning to revisit the show. And and I just, like, I, I felt betrayed. I think a lot of people felt betrayed. I have read some really compelling arguments for why the ending doesn't suck um, that have made me kind of want to revisit it and just see what I think. But um yeah, that it's a tough one. I think that that was arguably you could definitely make a case for that being the best TV show of all time. Especially in terms of impact, like what Lost did to television um is really unparalleled in at least the 21st century because this debuted in 2004 and ran through 2010 and it made uh, I mean, it was appointment television. Obviously, everything was appointment television back then because you didn't have streaming and DVRs and all that stuff. Maybe maybe you had TiVo a little bit starting there, but like you had to watch it. But it, I remember going to IMDb message boards to like talk about theories and stuff like that because like it created this huge swell of interest um, that really had not been, you know, part of the popular discussion uh, in, in terms of television shows in a lot of ways. And it was... Um, really compelling. And there were so many shows that tried to like be the next lost and nothing ever really has been in that way. I think there's a lot of like maybe streaming stuff now that like are very serialized in that way and can, um, you know, use time and, and, and non-linear storytelling to kind of get that same vibe. But to me, nothing's ever 
been as exciting of a watch as Lost. Maybe Scandal in its early seasons, um, where it was like that was during the days of DVR and even streaming. We're like, but you had to watch it on Thursday night because you didn't want to get spoiled. But it's hard for me to think of a show in the, the 21st century besides Lost that has had as much of an impact on the culture and on television as that one did. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I would say, again, this is one just like Ted Lasso that I can't, it's hard to say that it's the greatest TV show of all time because it's not over yet, but I would, um, I would add succession. Yeah. I've never, never seen that one either. Oh, it's phenomenal. And it is one that like, you kind of have to watch it when it's on Mm -hmm. because people will spoil it. Um, and it's interesting. You just kind of mentioned some of the streaming shows. I know we've talked about Yellow Jackets briefly. Um, Yellow Jackets is one that has clearly kind of mirrored the storytelling after Lost. Like, yeah, totally. It's definitely doing that. And and I would argue doing it as well as Lost did. So it's going to be interesting to see after this first season how that all goes down. Um, but yeah, it it is really hard to kind of come up with shows that have both like culturally impacted and in terms of the industry or the medium itself like pushed it forward um and yeah i think lost is is probably like a pretty strong pretty strong argument for that all right if you were going to make oh sorry go ahead oh i was gonna say it is funny like when you were saying the the shows that are our favorites are not necessarily the best like listen one tree hill is very important to me um very important to me but are you watching? It, what is it? Good Sam? What is it? What's the name of of, uh, of Sophia Bush's new show? It's called Good Sam. It's yes. airing on CBS. You all should watch it. Okay. Um, and there was a nice little One Tree Hill reunion in this week's episode that was lovely for me. Like all the girls were back. This is a thing with uh, you and our mutual friend, uh, Rebecca Michelson, are both like obsessed with One Tree Hill and Sophia Bush, right? It is actually the foundation of our friendship. Okay, yes. Good. All right, um, we became friends like through the One Tree Hill fandom. Oh, my Lord. And and it's interesting because we we like joke about the fact that the show was almost canceled after like pretty much every season. But the end of season three was really when like season three is when the show kind of finds its groove. And there's a cliffhanger at the end and it almost got canceled. And I would argue that like everyone I know who is extremely um, politically active or like phone banks and like works at the elections were for most of those people, like at some point they were a One Tree Hill fan who was like writing letters to the network to be like, please save the show. And so all of the, all of our like political activism, I would argue was like started by having to uh, petition and campaign to save a stupid television show. Um, But it is like not the best. I have a friend watching it for the first time right now. And the texts that I'm getting from her like live are absurd. Like she's like a dog ate his heart off the emergency room floor. And you're like, yeah. Oh yeah. That's a real storyline. Or like the nanny kidnapped the grandpa like it's just it's insane it's yeah. it's after the serbian mafia shows up at one point like absolutely off the rails i remember this like i would watch uh, this show occasionally not uh, obsessively like you did but like i don't remember any of that like i remember the basketball and like the dating drama and like the oh we're brothers but we're like not brothers kind of thing like i don't remember any of that and then like the music industry stuff as it got later in years like i remember that stuff but like serbian mafia did i watch a different show called one tree hill no you definitely watched the same show um and then it would just go off the rails at random moments 
And if I remember correctly, going off the rails is actually what happened in the season three finale, correct? It is exactly what happened in the season three finale. Yeah. So so arguably, like the shows that we love are are not necessarily the, the best. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, if you did have to make a case for something as being the best, um, what do you have one in mind that you could you could argue? Um I would say to kind of take it out of the like drama field because I do feel like we often overlook comedies um and and you know I I would say that Cheers is one that you yeah. could really make a case for of course um in kind of more the like sitcomy comedy field and it's hard to compare like a Cheers and a Lost right but there's just something about Cheers for me that what again was like everyone was watching it cultural phenomenon i think the obvious one is is you know people would say friends um was kind of similar yeah, but but that's that's problematic for me, yeah cheers for me is just on a it's on a different level and and don't get me wrong like i enjoy friends um yeah it's but, funny yeah 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 but i would say like cheers just kind of was the, is the pinnacle of that uh style of of television and um so I, that's that's one that I would probably make a case for. The one that I came down on where I, this is not going this is a show that's going to end up on a lot of like top 10, top 20 lists um, for people. But I don't think it's going to end up at the number one spot for most folks. But what I think might be the best TV show of all time, it did have a huge fandom. It did have a huge following. It still is part of the conversation right now. It has a signature catchphrase that. I hear at least once a week, if not every day. Um, I, and it did, it's another show. No, like I said, no shows are perfect, but like I would throw Friday night lights in there. Like it had a huge cultural impact while it was running. Um, it, it did things that were different than any other show on television, whether that was just a, a drama, a sports show. It was just so different. Um, and the impact that like Clear Eyes, Full Hearts Can't Lose had um, on, I mean, everything up to even like Ted Lasso, like that is still a very much a, a Coach Taylor vibe that we get from Ted Lasso in a lot of ways. Like, I just think that might be the best show. It might not have had the biggest impact. It had a big impact, but not the biggest. But like it, 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 it looked at a lot of things. It looked at small town, rural uh, America, which not a lot of shows do without kind of like putting it down. Um, it looked at everything from like racism, abortion, the lack of economic opportunities. I mean, even like once Tammy became principal or whatever, like school funding, um, a lot of race uh, issues as well. Like, I just think it was it wasn't a perfect show because like the whole murder uh, subplot in season two was a, a little wonky, although I am a uh, uh, I am a passionate and um, and and righteous defender of the Landry and uh, Tyra relationship. But I I think Friday Night Lights is great and I think it might be the best, even if very few people will probably agree with me. I actually really like that argument. Um, and, and the thing with Friday Night Lights, too, is for for many people like it accomplished all of those kind of things that we talked about with lost right it was a cultural talking point 
Everyone was watching. You had to watch while it was airing. Um, But it's also a comfort show for a lot of people. So it is one that like my mom will revisit Friday Night Lights the way that I revisit One Tree Hill when I just need to put something on. So I think it kind of checks multiple boxes in a way that like, I'm not just going to put a random episode of Lost on in the background as a rerun. You know, you kind of have to watch the whole narrative thing. Friday Night Lights, you can, you, it's, it fills a lot of different voids for people in their television watching and also accomplished like these great dramatic performances. Um, It's funny, it's heartfelt, you know? So I think that, um, that is, that's one that you could make a really strong case for. I mean, if Eric and Tammy Taylor aren't hashtag couple goals, like, I don't know what is like their relationship was so real and, and so lived in, but so, so loving, even though they argued uh, quite a bit and they had really passionate debates about what he was doing with his team and his life and what she was doing. Um, but they were great together. I also think it's really interesting that like, um, Michael B. Jordan came in in the last two seasons, so I'm not counting him in in this. But like when you look at all of the the especially like the younger stars of that show from the beginning, like Amy Teagarden, who I still see regularly on Hallmark movies, but Taylor Kitsch and Zach Guilford and Minka Kelly and Adrian Palicki uh, and Scott Porter uh, and Gaius Charles, the one that like became the biggest star is not who I would have thought of is Jesse Plemons. Like Jesse, Jesse, Jesse Plemons, the ugly Matt Damon has become like a huge movie star. And like in all these Oscar big movies, he's the lead in the new Martin Scorsese movie coming. That's coming out this year. Um, he's in a long-term relationship with Kirsten Dunst, which like, good for you, dude, um, would not have guessed that Landry would be the biggest breakout star of, of Friday night lights. Um, but here we are in the year of our Lord 2022 and Landry Clark is a huge big time movie star. There is, I will like, Oh, Jesse Plevins should have so many awards. Like there is nothing that he cannot do. I love him. And I love that he has the career that he's had so much. Um, and if people have not yet seen power of the dog, he is mm-hmm. fantastic in plays, that. He plays Benedict Cumberbatch's brother. He does. It's on Netflix. He is just abs. He's fantastic. I mean, he's fantastic in everything that he does. But it's just like such a, such a great role for him. Um, I mean, he had I, a he had a great twenty twenty one. He was in Judas and the Black Messiah. He was in Jungle uh-huh. Cruise. He was in Power of the Dog, and then Antler, which is a show that I don't know. It's a horror movie with Carrie Russell uh, and and some other folks. But like. G- Dude, dude's killing it. Good for him. I would like to see Jesse Plemons just continue to stay employed for the rest of eternity. Yeah. Protect absolutely. him at all costs. Yeah, absolutely. And he does have a decent amount of nominations for awards. Um, he got he, he actually got one uh, a Critics' Choice Award for Fargo, which is where I was like, he did other stuff. He did Breaking Bad uh, before that. But like where I was like, oh, He's like having a moment was when I saw him on Fargo, which was I don't I think it was maybe season two of Fargo. Uh, I can't remember, but uh, he's fantastic. And I I think that he is going to be around for a long time. And especially if real Matt Damon ends up getting swept away because of his uh, connections to cryptocurrency and we kind of lose him forever as an actor. uh, I'll take Jesse Plemons as a very, very uh, capable and perhaps even uh, improving uh, replacement for the actual Matt Damon. 
For sure. Agreed completely. All right. So let's wrap up uh, with some recommendations. Uh, Jamie, why don't you go first, uh, since I talked a little bit more about the TV shows? Um, Mine is absolutely outrageous. I would like to just shout out my friend Elizabeth, who made me watch this earlier this week. Um, It is a jukebox musical film (laughs) called Valley Girl, based on the 1983 Nicolas Cage film that's been turned into a movie musical. Um, It was released in 2020 and it was kind of did like a VOD release. And then they also played it at drive-in theaters during the pandemic. Yeah. I I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It is like so dumb and so delightful in the way that like a high school musical is terrible and also great. So if high school musical is like your kind of a vibe, this is just like, all of your 80s bangers that you love. One of the characters is named Mickey specifically so that they could sing. You're so fine. Yep. But who plays Mickey? Okay, so this is part of why this was probably buried because it's Logan Paul. But also, arguably, his character is the worst. So you're not rooting for him. He's fully terrible. Um, so just like he's just playing himself and it's okay to hate him. Uh but it's it's got Mae Whitman, it's got Judy Greer. Uh, it is truly delightful and full of eighties bangers, and it's only ninety minutes. So if you just want, like, where did you? Where is it streaming? Where can people watch it? It is streaming on Hulu. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it's it's just like all of your eighties aerobics, like California. Oh. Um, who else is in it? Alicia Silverstone is yeah. in it. Yeah, Jessica Rothy from uh, Happy Death Day. Um, Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Peyton List, mm-hmm. who's on uh, Cobra Kai now and did a bunch of Disney stuff before. Like, there's a lot of folks. And Randall Park is in it. Like, Rob yeah. Hubble. Like, there's a lot of really cool people in this film. Josh Whitehouse, who plays the kind of um, leading man, is like the most dreamy kind of like late nineties, early two thousands, Heath Ledger vibes guy. It's like, there's a shop, there's shopping mall scenes. There's aerobics class scenes. It's all like take on me and boys don't cry and under pressure and kids in America, like all of the songs that you want from an eighties jukebox musical. And I arguably hate jukebox musicals. Uh, But this one just like, if you just want something feel good, really dumb but a great time like this is it this is this is the gem you should also watch the 1983 film with Nicolas Cage but um this is a slightly more fun time yeah I'm literally putting it on my spreadsheet list of movies to watch right now um you can recommend the original Nick Cage one I'm going to recommend uh a role that is not going to get Nicolas Cage an Oscar nomination this year I don't think but probably should um go watch Pig Pig is uh an amazing movie also on hulu um and nick cage and i'm not joking at all probably should get an oscar nomination i don't think he will but he is definitely giving one of the best performances of the year and his career in this like weird kind of westerny uh movie so watch pig on hulu that's not my recommendation my recommendation could not be further from valley girl the musical 
parenthetically 2020. Um, mine is a book that I read, the first book I read of 2022. It came out just uh, earlier in January, on January 11th. It is called Mouth to Mouth. It's a novel by Antoine Wilson. Um, and I heard this recommended from Linda Holmes on Pop Culture Happy Hour from N NPR. She raved about it, so I pre-ordered it, got it as soon as it came out. And I read the first chapter in bed one night uh, just because I'd like to give myself like, okay, is I'm going to read one chapter and if I like it, I'm going to keep going. If not, I'm not. So I read it, read one chapter before bed, and then I finished it in the next two days. Um, it's this guy goes to an airport. He's getting ready to fly from New York to uh, to Germany, and he sees somebody that he knew in college. And they weren't friends. They were like acquaintances. And they end up going to the airport bar because their flight's delayed. And his friend from college, they went to UCLA, tells him this basically the story of what's happened to him over the past 20 years. Um, and it all kind of s revolves around him saving a guy who was drowning in the ocean, which is where the title mouth to mouth comes from. Um, and it's super interesting because basically you're just getting this story that this former classmate is telling him there's no corroboration. You don't know what's real, what's not. And the narrator, our main character, or our, you know, I guess the main character is the, 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 guy who's talking but like the narrator tells you like i kind of believe him i kind of don't and you've got to kind of read between the lines of what you think is really happening what really did happen what didn't happen um and it it was one of those books that i just couldn't put down even though there's nothing that like there's no huge major things that happen uh, along the way. There's no like explosions. There's no like Da Vinci code like mysteries, but it was just a really compelling read. It, like I said, I read it essentially in two days. Um, there are some twists and turns that happen towards the end of the book, but it's very well written. It's a, it's, I think it's less than 300 pages. So it's not a huge book, um, but highly, highly recommend uh, mouth to mouth uh, by Antoine Wilson. Awesome. All right, so that is all that we have for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Land Grant Holy Land's Stick to Sports podcast. If you are finding this episode on our website, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your daily dose of podcasting goodness. We are putting out essentially a different podcast every day of the week with different voices, perspectives, and topics that you will not find anywhere else in the Ohio State podcasting universe for better or for worse. Also, follow along on Twitter at LandGrant33. You can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt. Jamie, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Jamie Urich. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Have a great week. And as always, go Bucks. <laughs>